join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Thank you, choir, and Sam, and Robert, and Lynn on the violin. sort of wanted to just linger. And even the applause as an affirmation of yes, this is what we want. This is who we are. What did you notice in your body? First in the reading of the scripture, and then with the added layers of music. It's hopeful, isn't it? So another way of asking is, where does hope live within you? Where is hope present in you? Sometimes hope lives under the surface, doesn't it? It gets crowded out or pushed down or even pushed away. Maybe another way to say it is that hope can be disguised by regret or revenge or disappointment. If I had to pick one word that would best describe the disguise of hope, it might be grief. Grief holds so much, doesn't it? Consider how grief is connected to hope. Or another word, if another word speaks to you, whatever that word is, let's consider how it's connected to hope. Connected to a standard that is, standard that is as of now, unmet. In days to come, well, when? <laughs> Until then, our hope can show up as grief or as anger or other emotions because the standard is not yet met. Because after 2,900 years, we're not there yet. And this is not meant as an incrimination it's meant as an invitation to get in touch with that hope and that dream. That has been unmet, that is unmet because there are practices of power at work in ways that divide and destroy and deny life for far too many. And so part of fulfilling 
This dream is to recognize where the divisions and the destruction are. That can be really easy, or it can be really personal and hard. Let's consider also, though, that hope can appear in perseverance and in endurance and creativity. The power of hope fuels a commitment to the ways of power that engages in provisions of health and communal growth and life for all. Maybe that's how hope shows up for you. Maybe that's how you get through those hard times, or maybe that's how you continue in your commitment to work for a better world for all people. Remember the vision, the mountain of God's house shall be established. God will instruct, will teach us their ways so that we can walk and live in God's ways. We are not too old for instruction, are we? Or too young? Never. Out of Zion shall go forth the law, Zion being the place where God dwells. God's arbitration and justice will lead to justice and peace. Weapons of war will be replaced by tools of community. Yes. If this is what is to come, or what is possible, and this image is a collective dream, it might serve us well to intentionally hope and work toward it. To choose hope. I'm going to choose to be hopeful that this is in process and going to happen. Christina Edstrom is going to share with us some of the ways that her life and work have embodied hope and moved toward this image. Thanks, Christina. (laughs) Can you all hear me? Okay, sorry, I just had to get closer. I still have goosebumps from that song. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So good morning, friends. My name is Christina. Um, It's an honor to speak with you all today. Reverend Sarah asked me to speak about how hope informs my work as a children's health activist. And it's been really interesting this week, pondering how hope and activism intersect this week. I've always been passionate about health, but my journey as a children's health activist really began when my wonderful kids, Christian and Violet, were born. And I grew increasingly appalled at the food environment that I was raising them in. Looking at most children's menus, you'd think that children solely subsist on pizza and chicken fingers and and French fries. Processed food and soda are at cash registers everywhere, not just grocery stores, but drugstores and Bed Bath and Beyond. When my kids began school, I was really surprised by how much processed foods dominated the menu and how the daily meals really looked like a fast food menu much of the time. 
I began researching children's health and was really saddened to find that this is the first generation in American history where the kids have a lower life expectancy than the kids, than their parents, excuse me. Um, for all the kids born after the year 2000, one in three statistically will develop diabetes in their lifetime. If you're a child of color, that is one in two. Even Boulder County, we feel like we're so healthy, we feel so good about that, but actually Colorado ranks 13th in the nation for childhood obesity, and within Colorado, Boulder County ranks 14th. In fact, childhood obesity has increased almost 50% since 2003 in Boulder County, and now one in three kids in our county experience overweight or obesity. But beyond the statistics, I've just felt so anguished about how kids, um, there's so many kids out there who feel too winded to run. There's too many teenagers out there who have to face the responsibility of managing their diabetes, their type two diabetes, um, that was once called on adult onset diabetes. It's just called type two because so many young people have it. So I felt really angry. <laughs> and I co-founded a nonprofit with a nutritionist friend of mine. And our goal was to improve the school district's food. We met with the superintendent and food service director so many times and demanded that they reduce the amount of processed food and lower the sugar content of their meals. We did get some things done. We partnered with local farms and brought local produce in for the kids. We taught them about vegetables. We had kids who had never eaten a cherry tomato, and they weren't sure if it was okay just to eat it whole, or if they had to cut it up, or what to do with it exactly. But for years, we tried to reduce um, the, uh, the amount of processed food and had many heated meetings with the powers that be. And in the end, it just felt like nothing substantial changed. It was just so discouraging. So when I had the opportunity to start working with Boulder County Public Health to reduce sugary drink consumption with uh, kids in Boulder County, I just jumped in it. And it really changed the way I approached activism. My mentor, Tessa, just an amazing person, had a whole new way of approaching decision makers. Our goal was to pass a policy in Longmont that made healthy drinks the default on kids' meals, um, which would significantly reduce the amount of sugar that kids drink about a cup and a half a week if you consider the fact that families eat out four to five times a week. And if you just replace sugary drinks that they would eat out with healthy drinks, it's, it's really a substantial way to, uh, to improve the health of kids. So we'd go to city council members, and she led, Tessa led with hope, or I had led with righteous indignation. Rather than getting all fired up and demanding that they do something about the rising childhood obesity rates, she would talk about how this policy would help to ensure that this generation of kids would grow up to be healthy adults and to be able to live out their dreams. When somebody disagreed with us, rather than trying to debate that person, which is my inclination, she'd take the time to listen to them and validate their concerns. She had a concrete goal and worked with others to bring them along and to begin to share her vision. It got me to thinking about two ways to approach social justice. I think the prevailing mindset to social change is to feel moral indignation, to feel quick to judge and to see justice as tangible and clear and productive. But the other approach is through hope. Hope is mysterious. And at first glance, it can feel kind of flimsy and cliched, just a word that's found on Hobby Lobby wall art and embroidered into pillows at your grandma's house. But hope takes more work than moral indignation and anger. Hope requires vision and persistence. It powerfully transforms current realities through perspective-changing anticipation. 
It's an expectation of what will be normal in the future. So take a moment and think about the vision of most social justice messaging we see and hear in society today. It's mostly an angry call to justice, demanding that the powers that be tear down systems of oppression and unfairness. There's iconography of fists and people taking to the streets. It tends to be divisive and pits one group against the other. And of course, righteous indignation and anger is an important part of social change. It ignites people to recognize systems of oppression and to begin to take action. But it can also be divisive, and it fails when it's not paired with hope. Hope brings people together to create a vision of a better future, while, anxious, while righteous anger can divide and foment uh, disagreement without any resolution. I love reading about how founding father uh, John Adams stood for his groundbreaking ideas in the face of so much criticism. One of his regular responses to criticism was to point out how easy it is to tear things down, and conversely, how difficult it is to have a vision and build towards it. Both types of approaches see the same problem and care deeply about making positive change, but in the end, only one will really affect real change. Activism that is only anger and demands without a vision rooted in hope for a better future fails and only serves to widen divisions. Tessa's approach of hope and vision worked, and we passed our Healthy Drinks and Kids Meals policy in Longmont last fall, and now I'm working on passing the same policy in Louisville. Going back to my struggle to make school food healthier, I've come full circle in a way. I've had the opportunity to work alongside an amazing group of Latina moms here in Longmont called El Paso Vaz, who have done a lot to improve the food uh, students in our district eat. I've learned so much from them, just like Tessa. They have a very clear vision of hope that they've communicated to district leadership about how they wanted their kids to beat the odds and to grow up healthy and strong and able to reach their goals, and about how having a healthy school lunch every day that they could count on would help them get there. After working on this for years, I've been working on this for seven years, I'd say, the uh, first huge load of organic carrots from Olin Farms was delivered to St. Brain Cafeterias last month. And an energetic and innovative new school services director is now settling into her new role. Hope brings people together and builds a bridge to build a better, more just, and healthier future. Thank you.